The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. Ignatius Press and the Augustan Institute present The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. If you like us, please help us by subscribing and by reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might listen. And don't forget to sign up for weekly updates and study questions at formedbookclub.ignatius.com. Welcome to the Formed Book Club. We continue our discussion of Andrew Bach's The Drama of Atheist Humanism. Last session, which is a rather short session, but I thought a very condensed session. You can put it in water and, and, and uh, dilute it if you want. Uh, uh, that was on the spiritual battle, which is probably a great, well, was a great conclusion to part one, because after outlining the problem, what happened in the 19th century with Feuerbach Nietzsche, uh, Lubach tells us that the solution is that we have to live Christianity as it really is. Mm -hmm. But now, part two, we come to someone who's, I think, probably unknown to the majority of Catholics or non-Catholics in this country, even well-educated ones. Auguste Comte, they say in France, Comte, I guess we say in English, who is probably legitimately called the father of sociology. And so part two here is Auguste Comte and Christianity. And we start with chapter one, the meaning of Contean atheism. Joseph? Yes, actually, if, if I may, I'd like to precede chapter one with this, uh, I presume written, it's still written by, by Henri de Lubac, this sort of introductory two pages, which sets the scene for chapter one. doesn't have doesn't have a title or anything, but I just found that you know, I don't I don't know much about Auguste Comte at all. I, he was a name to me, but beyond that, I had no real idea. To be honest with you, uh, so I found this very interesting. That opening page here, he, he, he talks about the year eighteen forty two, uh, and in eighteen forty two, Auguste Comte wrote his Cour de Philosophie Positive. And as you both speak French, but neither do you forgive my accent. Uh, and in the same year, Feuerbach publishes Das Wesen des Christentums. And my German is even worse than my French. Um, so the, the point is you have these two... The English is worst of all, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> At least I speak it, Father. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll tolerate your American. Uh, so the same year, so these two seminal works of modern philosophy, and the quote here we have here by Emil Seisse, uh, Herr Feuerbach in Berlin, like Monsieur Comte in Paris, offers Christian Europe a new God to worship, the human race. I, so I like it when someone can encapsulate uh, by a you know, single date, two works, same idea, and it's a pivotal catalytic moment in intellectual history and then just below that uh he, he uses quotes here the positive spirit in quotes so hence positivism so closely interfused with the general thought like the air one breathes so we now live in a culture even if you haven't heard of august comte in which this spirit of positivism is so closely interfused with the general thought it's just everywhere with, with everybody's saying and thinking even if they're not thinking about it 
It's the, like the, the air one breathes. And in this sense, it is a bit like a religion because, you know, that the, the thing about Christendom is that, you know, irrespective of how well or even if you practice the faith, you were breathing in Christ and the communion of saints and the Blessed Virgin, you know, just by walking around, hearing the bells, seeing the architecture, seeing the art. Uh, it was just part of the air that you breathed. And now we have this new religion of, of, of the God, the new God to worship the human race, which is part of the very air that we breathe. Yes, and I think many people have heard of Feuerbach, but many more have heard of Marx, of course, Marx and Marxism. And likewise, Nietzsche is at least a name for people. Mm -hmm. uh, and at least in principle in the West here, we've rejected Marxism. And Nietzscheism is just sort of a historical curiosity. Whereas Kant is not well known, but in fact, it's Kantism, mm -hmm. which is what we're living through now. Mm -hmm. uh, and on page 136 at the top, Lubach says, Positive, positivism comes forward as one of the three or four systems that offer mankind a blueprint of a way of life claiming to answer all its needs. And we'll see in chapter one that Kant actually says, this is a religion. It replaces religion as a new kind of religion, religion of man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might be... I was just saying it might be good at this point for someone to give us a definition of what positivism is. You Joseph? Want, you want to <laughs> do that, Father? Well, it, it's materialism. It's, it's you know, reductionism in the sense that uh, the only kind of knowledge we have is positive, empirical, scientific knowledge. And anything else which has to do with the transcendent is a mirage. Vivian had an interesting uh, description, if not definition, of positivism. Well, the way I, it helps me to remember is the word positive, meaning if people want certitude, they find it in the material world, what Father was saying about materialism, that everything can be understood as matter and physical causes, material causes, and these are the facts we can be positive or certain about and everything else all other forms of knowledge or wisdom whether it's religion or metaphysics or philosophy this is all now just irrelevant and what's dangerous why this is more dangerous and uh to lubach will spell this out later the reason why this is more dangerous is because it's not putting up a direct fight against god god simply becomes irrelevant so you can't, it's a lot harder now to fight against it. Like when someone's a hardcore atheist and they're trying to prove that God doesn't exist, well, you can kind of fight back and try to prove that he does. What if somebody just says, poof, God doesn't matter? Yeah, and that's the thing is that the way, this is further down the line here, but but the whole idea that, that, that Comte comes up with is that metaphysics itself is 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 an illusion. And he, he, goes, he goes beyond atheism. Uh, in inverted commas, uh, beyond atheism, in the sense that atheism nonetheless seems to rely upon metaphysics, and uh, uh, that and that and that's a shaky ground because it's not it's not a material ground, right? It's not materialistic. So uh, so the positive is, but the danger of it is that it's not indifferent to religion. You might say religion is irrelevant, but the point is, if something's not positive, it's negative. 
right? Which means that, 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 that any, any ideas that are not positivist are enemies of the good and the true, as understood by positivism, which is why it, it, it very easily evolves ideologically into tyranny, as we see it does in the 20th century. Yes, good, good point. Yes, and, and that what you said, Vivian, uh, that we, arguing about atheism is already a mistake. Don't discuss it, because we're talking about something which is irrelevant, you know, and the whole process by which you argue, asking why, or what's a, those things are ephemeral. Those things are not more than ephemeral. They're, they're illusions, you know. So let's yeah, just get... Why is a metaphysical question, right? So you, you just don't ask why. That's right. That's so right. Anything more on this little introduction? Well, here? he sets out at the very end the three things he's going to do. And I love that one. Yeah, we all like authors right. who tell us ahead of time. Uh, he's going to tell us just what this Comtean atheism stands for, what attitude it engenders toward the Catholic religion and by what transpositions it gives the positive doctrine a religious character. Those are the three things De Lubach now is going to explain. All right. Chapter one, the law of the three states, which at the middle of that page there, he pretty much defines. And there's a lot of citations here, as always, in De Lubach. Okay. I found this on the web for pretty much... <laughs> Siri thinks I'm talking to her, but... Or him, or whatever your pronoun is. Uh, from the very nature of the human mind, Comte said, every branch of our knowledge has necessarily to pass through three successive theoretical states, colon. The theological or fictitious state, yes, that's his quote, right away, theology is fiction, right? The metaphysical or abstract state, in the scientific or positive state. So that, mm -hmm. that kind of buttresses all of our descriptions of what positivism is. And to show you just how it has completely become the atmosphere that we breathe, we were taught this in grammar school, in public school, when we were first taught mythology. And the reason why man had myth, you see, is because he didn't have science. This is what we were taught as children. This big. We're being taught, oh, so the realm of myth, the realm of religious faith or religious belief or the worship impetus is the result of this immature human race stage of history. When they didn't know any better, they didn't have science, they didn't have what we have. And that's why they had to rely on these stories, you see. And then the metaphysical state, well, in public school system, basically that gets summed up in this horrible medieval, you know, uh, all these inquisitions and persecutions of people who don't adopt these dogmas and these constructs and whatever. We all know the tyranny that that brings about. And again, it's all out of this ignorance and everything. And now in the modern era, man is at last free to know the truth of things because of modern science. That was literally how we were taught as children. And, 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 the, and the irony and, and, and uh, the outrageousness of it. Uh, I, was, I was told, I had a conversation with someone from Chile recently, and, and she was complaining that, this, that her tour guide, where she was somewhere, was saying that, of course, Nazism 
is an, an is an anti-Semitism is all a, a consequence of Christianity, right? So in other words, you blame the church for the Nazis. So you know, the, 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 even these secular fundamentalist ideas that are actually rooted in the Enlightenment, which gave birth to positivism, right? And, and quite clearly, uh, Hitler has much more time for Nietzsche than he does for Christ, right? Uh, nonetheless, you blame Christianity even for the Nazis. I mean, so the, the very fact that they can talk about dogmas <laughs> uh, leading to people being killed and in inquisitions after you know, the, the French Revolution. And, and the Bolshevik Revolution, and Chairman Mao, and the Nazis, and the fascists, you know, all of which are secularist regimes that rejected Christianity. And they, and they still seem to basically say that, oh, it was all, all, all this persecution because of dogma. I mean, the worst, the most murderous dogmas in human history have been ideological dogmas rooted in this nonsense. We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. About these three uh, states, the three states in history, why does this come about in the 19th century? Well, one can say it's true that we see, looking back on history, that 
that uh, we had fetishism and, and animism and so on, and that was replaced by monotheism. Uh, and then, oh, that's not true, but uh, we'll see later. And then reflection on that led to metaphysics, which became more abstract. And then finally, we, we realized it's all uh, mental gymnastics. What's really true is what scientifically can be shown empirically. And so there's this idea of progress, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So because we have electric lights, running water, hot showers, refrigerators, uh, air conditioning, and cell phones. And antibiotics. And antibiotics, all <laughs> these things. We think that, well, history is just a process of getting better and better. We're more mature now. We're more intelligent. You know, even though if we admit that we're midgets standing on the shoulders of giants, we still say we're better off now than they were then. And it's true in a material sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like a hot shower. You know, uh, It might be better spiritually if I took cold showers, but, <laughs> but, but also refrigerators. We, we would be eating much, many, many fewer types of food. Well, maybe that's better too. But the fact is, there's been material progress. Yes. No, yes. no one can deny there's been material progress. That's right. And therefore, we think, oh, we are better. We're more mature. We know more than our ancestors. Well, are we better spiritually than Augustine or Thomas Aquinas? You know, uh, no. There's no such thing as spiritual progress by which all individuals of one age are more progressive, more progr progress than all individuals of a previous age. That doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I sometimes sort of see it as the triumph of magic, you know, that in the medieval understanding the word, you know, you have medieval alchemy where they were trying to unleash the power of physics to uh, allow them to, to live longer and to allow them to turn base metal into gold to become very wealthy. Well, alchemy in that sense has succeeded, right? That, 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 that magic has delivered more material wealth. Uh, it has allowed, on average, for us to live longer. Um, so it's the triumph of, of, of magic. But, but the, the triumph of magic, the, the point is, does it actually, not even irrespective of whether it helps us get to heaven, does it make us happier? Right. I mean, are we actually happier because we have gadgets or are we just being distracted, just distracting ourselves to death in a, in, in a state of permanent agitation where none of us find any peace or serenity or silence, quietude, uh, because we've, we've got all these things around us all the time to keep us distracted from things that really matter? Well, if we distinguish happiness and joy, uh, I would say that, yes, I am happier because I and I, that's one of the, the calls to be truly human or, or Christian is discernment and a certain kind of abstinence or mortification where we control temperance, basically. We control these good things. But as I say, I when I go out and do some work on the vineyard, which I don't have to do because I don't have to earn my living by growing vines, but I enjoy it, and I get a good sweat up, and I come in, I take a hot shower, put on clean clothes. I mean, how... How much work does it take if you had to sew, weave a pair of underwear or, or a T-shirt? I mean, it would take you a few weeks, I suppose, to do it, or maybe maybe not quite that long. But but so I, I am happier that I have all these things in, in a range of foods, you know. I, I can understand that, and, and I think it's difficult to make a judgment because we haven't been in both 
positions. Um, but the point is that, people, that life was slow enough in those days that people did seem to have time to actually make, make their own clothes. We don't have the time to make our own clothes now because we're very busy. So because we have so many distractions, uh, so many other things we can be doing because magic has made it you know, made it possible. So, you know, I think it's difficult for us to judge whether we uh, are happy. We can't imagine being without them. That's certainly true. Right. Uh, it's a privation for us to be without things we've become accustomed to. That's absolutely true. But if we had never, if we'd never known them, if we'd never known those things, would we be less happy? And that's the question. Well, here's I'll answer from another aspect, namely, uh, I have faith. I believe that this life is meant as a preparation for a much glory, more glorious life we can't even imagine. And therefore, we shouldn't be clinging to it as if we got nothing else. We should be happy to die. You know. At the same time, this creation that God made is a good creation. There's a lot of good in it. And so I'm happy that I'm 82 years old. But I would not be 82 if I were living a century before, or so, because I've had several operations which weren't possible then. Mm-hmm. You know, I certainly would not be here. Oh, that's right. I would have died a couple of times already by now. Well, at least yeah, once. no, I understand that. I'm not arguing with that, but of course, you know, the, the, there's an the ultimate egalitarianism is the fact we all die once, and it's where we go afterwards, which is the which is the ultimate truth. We need to keep in focus. Right, but that's why I distinguish happiness and joy. The joy is what happens when we die, and we look forward to that. But happiness you can have here, you know, a good beer, you know, a nice, nice piece of music. That's another thing. Uh, am I happier because I can listen to Mozart than I would have been in the seventh century when I couldn't? Yes, I am. That's something which is a, an addition to something more in in the, the life. And it's not just a really material thing. That's a spiritual thing, too. Yeah, and I, I agree. Certainly, as regards these things that are connected to goodness, truth, and beauty, I'm not arguing at all. I mean, as uh, as 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 I've quoted again in the past about Tolkien saying that to, to see, speaking of the church, to see the, the full-grown tree as being somehow inferior to the sapling. Of course, you know, we, if we talk about the flourishing of Western culture and Chris and Christendom, and it brings forth Mozart. Then yeah, then that's that's one of the glories of the full-grown tree, and thanks be to God for the full-grown tree. No argument for that at all. Gosh, no more arguments. Okay, well let's go forward. What what comes next? Well, what do we have next here? Well, he spells out more specifically these stages as being. Um, um, well, he brings in, he, he kind of spells out these stages, fetishism, polytheism, theism. Oh, excuse me. That is, a, that's the first stage. All three of those are the first stage? Because yeah. he's saying you've got theology, metaphysics, and science. But within the first stage theology, there's these actually three, three substages. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. And then later comes the abstraction of these things. Right. And then later comes science. Okay. Thank you. And then on page 141 at the bottom, he says, he's he's quoting him there, the history of mankind can be represented in a sense as a development from the primitive religion, fetishism, to the definitive religion, positivism. So at least he's honest about this. We're we're replacing God with another religion. With another religion. That's right. And then, curiously enough, on the top of page 142, he talks about a fourth stage or state where we're going to be even free of this religion, the fourth state in which the mind frees itself from science as it freed himself from ontology and theology so that the scientific state 
at any rate, such as it is still conceived by too many scientists, should constitute only a final transition into the truly positive state. Now, what does that remind you of? It reminds, it reminds me of Marx and the, how the proletariat dictatorship that's going to be ushered in by the revolution, that too is going to wither away. We're going to somehow end up in this utopian place where we don't need any government at all. And it's interesting that in these attempts to replace religion, we end up with people who not only give us another God, they give us another heaven. And then on that page, actually, you know, he then basically says, look, I'm giving you a new, I'm, I, you know, not just this is a new religion. I am the founder of it. Uh, he made a point of claiming paternity, proudly calling it his law, his great law, and relating how he had suddenly discovered it. Uh, and, then, and, and, and of course, then, then Lubak does what he often does, the same thing Nietzsche, the show that actually he was, the comp was also building on other, other ideas before it. But, but the point is what we have at the heart of this is pride. Um, that you know, that this is not something which is positive. It's something which is mine. It's positive as well, but past is positive because it's mine. Um, you know. Um, so I have nothing. Uh, well, no, actually, I do have. Oh, no. Well, no, you know, I, I totally missed that, Vivian. But this is incredible. He's talking about the fourth state, <laughs> the truly positive state, because he said we are still unfit to direct the final reorganization. What is the World Economic Forum all about? Mm -hmm. The Great Reset? Mm -hmm. The Fourth Revolution? Mm -hmm. Homo Deus, man, God? Yep. Well, we're, we, we now have transcended even the scientific state? Yep. This is it. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, now I think it's demonic. And I, I don't think... You couldn't have that kind of prescience without yep. supernatural help of the of the evil kind. Oh my gosh! Yep, and that's why, to me, the 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 communist project and this project are actually converging. You know, and <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, this is not to um, make. It's, it, it is actually it's, it's, a, it's a diabolical as opposed to a divine comedy because it is funny and it will have a happy ending. Um, it will have but, a happy ending. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But, but the point is you know, that, that what we're talking about here is that it begins with the, the, the fighting for the poor against the rich and it ends up with, with Marxism basically in, 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 in bed with the plutocracy with the wealthiest and most powerful to basically design a world that rides roughshod over everybody and, and the poorest in particular. Right. And who plans this? Who, fly, who flies to Davos mm -hmm. in their private plane? There were 1,500 private jets in that little airport in Davos when they have this, this meeting every year. So, and so first, in, and in order to, to, you know, prepare the ground for this ushering in of this, other regime, you know, this grinding down and reducing mankind. I love this line on 145. Um, uh, you know, this is de Lubach talking about Comte. His offense lies in trying to reduce the whole knowledge of man to such a science, meaning he turns 
sociology. And he's the father of sociology because now he's even going to turn the subject of man himself into an object of somehow objective science, data points, statistics, studies, polls. This is all the offspring of social science. And so man is now going to be the subject of this science. In other words, having wished to reduce man to no more than the subject matter of sociology. And we see this everywhere. We see this everywhere. And in fact, it's not hard to get sucked into it yourself. For example, just like a small example, like let's say we're trying to argue the benefits of family life, you know, the benefits of staying married and the benefits to children and so on. And we, just as much as the next guy, will turn to some statistical study showing that the children of divorce suffer X, Y, and Z, and the couples that separate suffer from X, Y, and Z, and there's this percentage and that percentage and whatever. And we just have to be so careful that we aren't actually playing the game by their rules. Yeah, no, that's, that, I, I agree with that. If I can go back one page, though, to page 144, uh, this is this is Henri de Lubac cutting through the cant, so to speak. So that new paragraph beginning again. Is that where, is that with a K? Is that with a K? <laughs> K or C? <laughs> Very good. I like that. That's the that's the best pun we've had for weeks. Thank you. Um, he's, he's doing he's doing both. Um, <laughs> uh, so the the paragraph beginning uh, again, where Comte saw three successive state state states is actually a case of three coexistence modes of thought. So what, what he, he has basically rearranged history, a bit like H.G. Wells' outline of history, where you know you put all you put religion and oh there will and there will things from the past, right? And then we have this inter intermediary case of metaphysics uh, and at the age of philosophy if you like, and then we have science. Um, and this is progression in temporal progression in time. Whereas you know he cuts straight through that and says no these are three things that exist uh, in all generations from the beginning, as three separate coexistent modes of thought, they're not. They're not. One doesn't replace the other. They are things that are in communication with each other and actually informing each other and allowing us to under, understand each of the others because they're in communion with the other two. Mm -hmm. Let's conclude by finishing this section, section one. Uh, did anybody else have anything to say up to page one forty-seven? I, I've got a couple of things highlighted on the page 146. Go um, ahead. Go ahead. We have time. So the, the, right at the top, the second line down, the prejudice that leads us, quote, to place ourselves on a different footing from things and to claim a special place in the universe. In other words, we are, that's a prejudice not allowed to do that, which means that we are not able to see ourselves in some sense as distinct from other material objects, which means you have to remove humanity from the study of human beings you have to re remove the human person from the studying study of sociology because if you start admitting those things you're admitting the transcendent which is not purely material so if they're going to reduce it to that then they've made the whole thing uh reductio ad absurdum and then the other thing i want to point out before handing over to you for the rest of it is the middle of the page again this is Deluback. can the mind be reduced to its object in other words, you know, that if, if I'm thinking about something such as a tree, you know, is, is, is it nothing other than the tree or is the fact I'm thinking about it something perhaps transcends the tree itself? So, again, this is him once very, very, very pert 
succinct question cuts through the rubbish. You know, Plato has a dialogue called the Symposium. That's right. And of course, sum means with and posium from the Greek word for drink. So drinking together and discussing these things. I am finding so much satisfaction in our discussions that I think I'm going to bring a glass or two of wine for the next discussion so that we can move to a higher level because we're progressing just like Pump said, you know. And then the next stage is going to be having, having a glass of wine. But the symposium, I mean, you know, where those guys went with the discussion. So, so then Plato then had to have another dialogue, Phaedrus where he has to correct some of the errors of the men in the symposium and does so by explaining, well, through the course of this dialogue and drawing out the conversation as Socrates only can, you know, the Phaedrus comes well, to understand what, what, what love really entails. Just as Jesus took <laughs> wine to another level. Yes, okay. <laughs> we will take the symposium to another level. Yes, please. <laughs> We'll see you all next session. God bless you all. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.